please take your seats so we can start the meeting. My name is Melissa and I'm an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Zach. Hi everyone, Zach, alcoholic. Thank you uh, so much for having me tonight. This is such an honor. Um, you know, hearing other alcoholics speak, sitting in the in those you know chairs like you guys are, was is and was probably the most important thing to me. Getting sober, just you know, listening to others say things that I related to so much before I knew anything about AA or even alcoholism is just really what saved my life. And, and I can say AA really has saved my life. So. So just to start, um, my first drink, I was 11 or 12 years old. It was a Thanksgiving party my parents were throwing and all the adults were drinking and uh, they were leaving you know, half full glasses of wine around and some, for some reason I thought it'd be a good idea to pick one up and take a drink. Um, and then I had a few more and I got drunk and you know, I don't remember much, but I just remember pure happiness. Like I had never felt before, just all my fears and anxieties just melt away. I'm just a little kid, and I just I, I knew that um, you know I love this thing. So, so you know, when I when I say that, I always you know let everyone know I was not a 12 year old you know like daily drinker or anything like that. Um, for for me, it was a slow but steady progression. And I'll say this, you know. I never, it never appealed to me to have one or two drinks. Like even as a young kid, I always drank to get drunk and, that, and that's the way I drank. I was a binge drinker, but you know, it started off when I could get alcohol as a kid. So maybe once a month to, you know, twice a month to every weekend to, to every day of the weekend to three days a week to four days a week to five days a week to, you know, not just binge drinking, but blackout drinking and, you know, drinking in the morning and, you know, all those things that I told myself I would never do, I did. Um, and, uh, you know, and I guess I just reached a point uh, about two years ago, I'm, I'm two years sober, or I will be two years, God willing, February 25th. Uh, but, um, I reached a point where I couldn't, in my own head, just just like keep slipping through these trap doors, you know. Like the first time, I, I said at one point I would never drink during the week, and then when I did, I was like, ah, it's okay, everyone drinks during the week, and you know, that kept happening and happening until it really started affecting me at work. You know, I was I was coming, I was either calling in sick because I was too hungover, or I was drunk, I was showing up to work sometimes under the influence, I was on calls and it, like. And, and it just started to occur to me, like, maybe I have a drinking problem, but I'm not an alcoholic. I don't even know what an alcoholic is. Um, and uh, and um, I just tried on the Zach program to get sober for about a year. Um, I tried all the stuff, you know, talks about this in the big book, you know, I tried just drinking beer, I tried switching to other substances, I moved apartments, I changed friends, I actually moved to a different country at a certain point. Um, 
just because I thought it was everything else that was, you know, my problem, not me. Um, and so, you know, year of trying that, none of it worked. Um, finally, one morning, I just went to work and I was so intoxicated, I, I could barely speak. It was 9 a.m. on Monday and I had a meeting. And I was like, I need to get the hell, sorry, I need to get the heck out of here. <laughs> so, so I went home and, and that was not the worst thing I'd ever done drinking while on the job. I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I was once in a jail cell during the week when I was supposed to be at work for drinking, you know, public intoxication and I got out of it. So this was not the worst thing that I had done. It was just, I had spent all this time trying to figure it out on my own and I, and it just finally hit me like, I can't do this and I was completely hopeless and I think you know no matter what's happened to any of us here it's like our bottom is when we just finally realize you know I had I had nothing left that it was either out the window or someone else has to help me with this so I picked up the phone um, called in a you know a therapist that I've been working with and she uh, sent me a car and I went to a detox and the crazy thing was after the seven day detox, they asked me, you know, what's your plan after this? And I still said, oh, I'll probably go home, maybe I'll hit a meeting, but I'll be able to like, figure this out on my own. Still not convinced and, and thank God someone there just said, you really think that's a good idea? Like, what do you have to lose? Um, you know, just, just take, let, let someone else help you. So I said, fine. And I spent 30 days in rehab and that was the first time I, I really sat in an AA meeting and again, like I didn't know much about the program. I didn't even really fully understand what alcoholism was. I just heard other people speak and they were saying things that I never, I guess, admitted to anyone else. And you know, for the sake of 10 minutes, I was trying to think of some of the things I heard in early sobriety that I really resonated with. And um, a big one was like, I have this thing called a built-in forgetter, which I, I kind of always knew I had, but I didn't know other people had that too. And, and the way that goes is, after a heavy night of drinking, I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, easy decision, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I feel terrible, I'm hungover, um, you know, thinking about ways to get out of work. God knows what I did last night. You know, my friends are texting me, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't even know what happened. Um, so I, you know, I get up and I say, all right, maybe if I just tell myself 30 times before noon, I'm never drinking again, I won't drink again. Um, so I do that and then, you know, three, four o'clock rolls by, someone says, Zach, wanna get a drink after work? And I say, yeah. Like, like, like all, everything that's happened to me, everything that I had said to myself five minutes before, that just all goes out the window. And I, I don't know why, I just, I don't have, I just didn't have control over it. Um, and when someone sort of, I, again, I knew this about myself, but when I heard someone else say it and, and everyone agree that they had that too, I was like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe there's a way that I can, you know, do this. And, um, and AA's been the only way that I've been able to kind of conquer that, you know, myself. And, um, and so, yeah, from there, you know, Spent 30 days at rehab, I came back to New York, I actually went to a sober house for four months where I got a sponsor. Started working the steps. Um, you know, fourth step was tough, but ninth step for me was even harder making amends. But, but I, you know, I just, I stopped trying to, I, I stopped just 
like thinking I could figure everything out and I just put my faith in something that I didn't fully understand at the time and it you know it worked um, so so uh, it's, it's been an incredible journey um, and I will say as well like what I love most about AA is that um, you know for me it's not just about being dry or, or not drinking like I can't do any of this if I'm drinking but it, but what keeps me coming back is that I just like I'm living such a better life than I was you know like all this stuff about you know making amends owning up to our mistakes being nice to others doing service like these are good things to do whether or not you're an alcoholic for me it's like life or death but it's just you know that's what keeps me coming back it's like every day I'm this better person I feel better about myself it's I'm much better off for everyone else before I was a crazy man you know I was a terror um, and now I just like not only have peace of mind but I'm just a useful member of society and 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 uh, you know and again like I can't rely on everything that's happened to me and everything I've done drinking because I know for myself that won't keep me sober for five minutes because I don't, I don't know how my brain works, but, but you know, if I'm not following a program, I, I can't stay sober. So, uh, so I'm just really grateful to be here. I'm really grateful for all of you. Um, and it's just amazing to, you know, be able to relate with everyone. So with that, I have one minute, but I guess I'll end it. Thank you so much. privilege to be asked to speak at Alcoholics Anonymous, but particularly this meeting. Um, this meeting means a lot to me. Uh, you know, I was um, in a little bit of reverie when I was sitting in the, uh, the pews over here and thinking about when I, you know, first set foot in the room and it was upstairs. And um, it was 20 years ago, longer than that. Damn, I'm getting old. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was a kid when I walked in here. And, um, um, and I just remember that um, I had a sponsor back then who brought me here. And he said to me, um, you know, after I uh, submitted to sponsorship, he liked to use that word. Um, he said, you know, Cove, I think some of the best sobriety in Manhattan is on the Upper East Side. And I thought, oh God, no. <laughs> I was from Brooklyn. I went as far as the East Village, maybe 14th Street, you know? And, uh, but like our book said, I had been driven to the point of reasonableness. And, um, and that's where I was. So the next person that said jump, I was gonna say how high. And, um, and I remember, um, <laughs> I walked in the, um, in hindsight, like the Atlantic group upstairs, I feel like out of all the meetings reminded me the most of high school. Um, just because you had like this giant room full of people and they all are kind of in their groups and they all seem to know what's going on. 
and um, and uh, I don't remember being so scared, you know. And I remember my, I caught a resentment right away when I walked in on the handshake line. Like one person didn't look at me or shake my hand. I was like, I'm, it's because I'm black. Because <laughs> I'm black. And um, and um, um, at that time, I think there were only like three black people in this group: myself and Stacy. And um, and there was another guy, Stacy. I don't know if you're on here, but you remember that he was always getting called Kobe, and I was always getting called Stacy. <laughs> and we used to have sidebars and joke about it, and we used to kind of laugh a little bit when people would roll up on both of us and be like, "Oh." <laughs> and um, you know, um, it was. It, I guess that arrangement worked better for me. I had like you know two weeks and two nickels to rub together, and Stacy had 20 years and ran a business. I don't think he liked the comparison. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I remember walking into the room, and um, 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 after the meeting, um, I talked to my sponsor, and I said, you know, nobody likes me. <laughs> And he said, you know, you know that for a fact? You know that everyone in that meeting dislikes you. And I said, uh, nobody speaks to me. And he, he asked me, did I speak to them? Now these were all like um, personal interactions that I had never kind of mastered at a very basic level because I learned everything while I was drinking. My entire foray into society as like a 16-year-old was done under the influence. My first everything, my first relationship, my first um, you know time that I went to a, a party and had fun, like you know. Um, so anyway, so I walked in. I said, so he said, so let me get this straight. He said, every time you walk into the room. The whole room is supposed to go Kobe, Kobe. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that wouldn't be bad. But, um, you know, he told me, and I'm probably going to uh, misquote this, something that I have kept with me for 20 years. Now, I'm coming up on 16 years. And uh, so obviously there's some time off in there for bad behavior. But, um, but um, he told me something that I carried with me my entire sobriety, and it's never failed me. And it was expanded upon later in my step work, but he said, because I said AG is a bunch of clicks. That's what I saw. And he said, clicks are what you see when you aren't looking for a newcomer to help. <laughs> right, Bob? And it transformed my perspective. You know, it transformed. Because in the big book it says we can go anywhere as long as our motivation is correct. So my motivation was wrong. And so I started coming into the room to see who I could help, you know. And I forgot myself. And that was something that um, only happened when I was drinking before that. So um, I'm going to read a little quote here. Matt said it was okay if I did it. So it's actually AA-approved literature. And I'll read the quote first, and I'll tell you who said it after. And it says, the one thing we can't change about our lives, the only thing that cannot be changed by us, is that we're stuck with ourselves forever. In my opinion, the definition of sobriety is the ability to live comfortably 
peacefully and joyously with me. Sobriety is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And that's from Chuck C, new pair of glasses. Um, which was a long talk that someone in this program who has passed away gave uh, a long time ago. You can find it online. Um, but, um, you know, that's what I was looking for in the bottle. You know, that's what I was looking for in the bottle. And um, that's what the bottle gave to me, you know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how I qualified to be here. I text my sponsor, actually, um, who lives in Florida now. And I said, hey, Kenny, you know, I'm going to be speaking for uh, the Atlantic group. I was like, um, you know, here's the log on. And he said, you know, thanks, but I have a poker tournament tonight. <laughs> 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 Which is, you know, that's what your sponsor's so, uh, supposed to say. You know, don't go thinking you're important, right? <laughs> and, um, and he said, and he said, and he said, tell the truth, stay in the solution, and I love you, right? And so that goes to all this stuff. Like, you know, I definitely didn't come in here wanting men to love me, right? <laughs> um, uh, and, um, you know, I came in here like many people came in here to save my life and to find a date, right? <laughs> and um, I know, guys. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so um, to give you a little bit about how I qualify to be in here, you know, I definitely come from a family of alcoholics, but that doesn't make me an alcoholic, right? That didn't make me an alcoholic. You know, later on when I was doing step work, my sponsor said to me, my parents were partially responsible for what I became. And then they told me that I was entirely responsible for what I become, right? And so, um, you know, my, my upbringing, um, I used to tell this story, um, when uh, I used to come to this meeting and Peggy would be in front and Abe would be over here and Bonnie would be over there because I know they were disco heads back in the days and my mom and dad definitely were disco heads. And, um, um, you know, they would have these house parties. Like my house was like, you know, where all the fun concentrated. My, my parents were definitely cool kids. And um, I felt like back in like the late 70s, early 80s, just everyone had an afro. And, um, and, and all the art seemed to be made out of velvet. And, um, and I remember my parents um, had a liquor cabinet. And um, it had like this, reminding me of a drawbridge. It had this door that came down. And, um, and inside of it were all the bottles. They were, bottles with clear liquid and red liquid and blue liquid and green liquid and everything seemed to focus around that cabinet you know and um, and um, and I remember being mesmerized and transfixed you know there were a bunch of us kids my mom had friends um, they, my mom and dad had friends that all had kids around the same time so they used to push us all in the back room and they would be in the front room drinking and dancing, and they would roll up the carpet and do the hustle in your socks, and we would stick our head out the door, you know, and, and, we, and we'd look on with awe, you know, and I always was attracted to what was that liquid about? What was that substance about? Like, why does everything revolve around that, you know? And like I said, that doesn't make me an alcoholic. I have two sisters who grew up in the same household, and they took the exact same tack that we're never touching that, we're not doing that. You know, and they stuck to it. And they went on to be productive members of society, which is 
good for me because, you know, I had people to lean on when I needed money. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, and so um, you know, I remember sampling alcohol as a little kid. You know, I did, I did the same tricks that probably a lot of us did. You know, I drank it and then filled it back up with water and then, you know, got caught, you know. My dad could always tell the difference because he's an alcoholic. He's been sober about 22 years now. And um, my mom, I don't think she was an alcoholic, a bit of a heavy drinker in her day. And um, all my uncles are alcoholics. And my grandmother, some of you are not going to know what this term means, but my grandmother was the bootlegger. Okay? So on like Sunday, when everything was closed, you could go see my grandmother for a bottle. That's who my grandma, she never touched it. It actually encapsulates the dysfunction in my family. We have these people who are pure so that everyone else can do evil. And then kind of like all of it gets swept under the rug, you know? And so, um, you know, I'll fast forward a little bit. Where am I at on time? Okay. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit. The first time that I truly um, drank for a fact, I was probably 17 years old, which is um, late by alcoholic standards, I came to find out. Um, and um, um, it was because um, something had happened between the ages of like 12 and 14, that adolescent going into maturity, whatever phase, where I understood how life went and didn't have to think about it until I had absolutely no, and then one day I had absolutely no clue. And all of a sudden my insides didn't line up with the world. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know what my role was. I felt insufficient. And um, whenever I tried to uh, um, join with society at the level where I thought I belonged, you know, an alcoholic like me, um, you know, I never wanted to be a worker among workers. You know, when I say I want to be accepted, that means right at the tippy top, <laughs> the, uh, the upper echelon, <laughs> right? Nothing else, everything else is a failure. Um, and so, um, you know, I had that um, anxious apartness. That was the term that I learned here. I had anxious apartness. You know, I just, it wasn't just that I didn't fit, it was that. I didn't know why I didn't fit and I wanted to. And that was the that was the angst, that was the anxiousness. And to fast forward a, a little bit, a friend of mine um, um, was drinking beer outside one day and he handed me a bottle and um, and I drank for effect. I had tankered with alcohol in the past. I had gotten a little I had gotten drunk once, but this time I drank it to solve a problem, you know? And it did it. And it did it. You know, and the scales were removed from my eyes. And you know how I knew alcohol worked? I looked in your eyes and I saw it worked. I looked in your eyes and I saw you liked me now. I looked in your eyes and I even thought you might admire me now, right? Which is the, for, for an insecure, burgeoning alcoholic teenager of the hopeless variety, that is the ultimate security, if I think you admire. So whatever it takes to keep that was what I was going to do. And I say that I took a subconscious oath that I would never be caught in a social situation without 
alcohol in my system again. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't verbalize that or really think that, obviously, back then, but that's how I acted. Anytime I was going somewhere where I knew I was going to be afraid, you know, I, I drank before I got to the place where we were going to drink. That's how insecure I was, you know. All of a sudden I could dance, you know, my tongue went from garbled marbles to silver. <laughs> you know, I could get a date. And it wasn't even so much that I could dance. I didn't care if you thought I could. That was just, that was the superior effect. So it worked, right? But like Bill talks about in this story, um, you know, this greatest metaphor for me is that it turned in its flight like a boomerang. You know, and I had a boomerang as a kid back when we played with things that weren't digital. <laughs> but um, I had a boomerang as a kid, never quite figured it out. Um, there was no YouTube then. But, um, thank you. But when he, when he talked about that in the story, how it turned in its flight and almost cut him to ribbons, you know. Something that was working so well for me, you know. I took my, my alcohol, my alcoholism was willing to put on whatever uniform or outfit or identity I put on to ensure its survival. So when I joined the Marines, it, alcoholism put on camouflage. You know, when I came out and became a, a, a chef, you know, it put on the, the, the whites and the funny hat, you know. And, um, you know, when I went into business alcohol, but alcohol always just took so much more from me than it gave, you know. And then there became, there came the time where it stopped working, you know. And that's when um, you begin looking for a solution again at some level. And that's when dry goods came into my story. And for a lot of us, you know my drinking career is coming to an end, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was telling this story to a friend um, the other day. My sponsor said, stay in the solution. So I was telling this story to a friend of mine the other day. So I remember I was on a run, right, after a period of sobriety, which was my MO. I was, um, I went, I always was trying to like get it together. And, and years and years would go by, and I always felt like I, I was almost there. That's the delusional aspect of alcoholism. Well, I was on this run, and I ran out of money, and I remember, um, I was trying to avoid myself, and so I was binging CSI. There was this TV show called CSI. And back then, there were like DVD box sets. And so I had all the box sets for my friend. And I was binging them whenever I started thinking about the state of my life, right? And I remember I woke up one morning, and I grabbed the remote control, and I was like, oh God, before my thoughts start, let me turn on some CSI. <laughs> and I pointed, I pointed, I pointed the remote at the TV stand, and my TV was gone. I had been robbed, <laughs> and there was like just a ring of dust where it used to be. And I remember being very upset. And I remember going, trying to go back to sleep, and then I got up, and then probably like maybe fifteen or twenty minutes, I had this flashback of myself selling the TV the night before. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of like, what happens when this alcoholic picks up a drink, that happened. <laughs> that happened, you know. Um, and um, 
And so, yeah, I surrendered with that guy that brought me to the Atlantic Group, finally, you know. Uh, things got bad enough that, you know, I was the kind of person that um, would not quit. So um, um, I spent all the money that I had, and I was at the point of being evicted. I knew that was the only way that I would get help, is that if I didn't have any other choice. And I used to have a resentment that no one did an intervention on me. <laughs> I was like, no, my family doesn't love me enough to do an intervention. Anytime I hear about people getting interventions, I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> and so, um, and so um, I went into treatment, and that was where the journey started for me. And uh, I came out, and um, I tried coming to meetings, and that was where I met the sponsor that brought me to this group. And, um, you know, what I was searching for, you know, was the ability to live comfortably, joyfully, and peacefully with me. And, um, you know, I didn't know that. You know, I thought it was a whole bunch of other things. You know, I thought it was a whole bunch of external things. Right? I was the kind of person that could definitely pay a lot of lip service to G-O-D. So sidebar, someone asked me to speak at a meeting once. It was also on the Upper East Side. I spoke at the meeting, I probably had about three years. I was like on the beam in the group, Atlantic groups, probably doing all seven. <laughs> and um, sponsored, I was on the beam. And so I was getting asked to speak all over the place. And, um, and um, so I went and I, and I spoke at this meeting and I was like, God, 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 right? And um, during the secretary's break, the secretary read, you know, kind of here at the atheist meeting of New York, <laughs> right? And, and um, what astounded me was that, you know, the person, of course I was mad at the person who asked me to speak, did you not tell me or did I not hear? But um, <laughs> my wife laughs, she knows what happened. Um, uh, but what astounded me was that they weren't interested in my experience, strength, and hope. They didn't care that I did that, that I talked about God, right? And I'll tell you the other thing. I hung out with these folks for a little bit after the meeting, and I saw, it was, outside of the Atlantic Group, it was probably the most well-run meeting I've ever been in. And then also, there was prolific sponsorship going on in this atheist meeting, right? And so I remember walking away with that, and it was like some time later I thought about it. And I said, hmm, maybe it's almost as important to act as if I believe all of this works as it is, well, Maybe the actions that I have to do to stay sober are just as important as the belief. Because these people were not, obviously not having an HP, but they were doing all the other things. And they all had 5, 10, 15, 20. They were doing well. And it was just an eye-opening moment for me. Because, and I share this because one of my character defects is I can have my head in the clouds and not have my feet firmly on the ground, you know? 
I can be guilty of, you know, becoming, you know, getting into prayer, meditation, and reading spiritual stuff, you know, but let my bills pile up, right? You know? <laughs> and so, um, back to what I was talking about earlier, um, uh, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I forgot exactly what I was, <laughs> but um, when, I, when I kind of um, got to, oh, when I got to a point where I thought I had gotten all the things that I wanted, you know, the externals. I'll just leave it at that. Leave it at that. You can use your imagination. And I stopped paying attention to, you know, what got me that feeling of joyousness and peace, you know. And that went on for a long period of time. And for me, it led to um, the insanity returning, right? You know, a book says the insanity returns and you drink again. So. It wasn't even me that picked up, right? It was the insane version of me that made this decision to, to take a drink. And, and this is just my perspective. So a, a, a huge chunk of my job in Alcoholics Anonymous is to keep that imposter out, right? To keep that insane person from returning. That person that likes to step in when I'm detached from you, detached from my higher power, detached from meetings, right? Into myself. You know, getting scared, getting angry, thinking I can solve it and do it by myself, and that goes on for an extended period of time. You know, the insanity can return for me. Where something else starts making like decisions in critical moments. <laughs> like in the Joe and Charlie says, Joe and Charlie tapes, he says um, about self will. Like he talks to Will like he's a dog. He's like, sick him, Will. <laughs> right? And so that I get to that place where I'm like, sick him, Will. You got a problem? Sick him, Will. You problem with your boss? Sick him, Will. You know? And, um, and it never works out. And so, um, yeah, I went out for uh, four months back in 2004, four, five. And um, <laughs> funny story, I remember, um, what did I have Six minutes ago. Um, so one of our group's founders, Peggy, um, um, has been a, an angel for me off and on in my sobriety. But I remember when I was in and out during that period, I was trying, with, I was trying to avoid anyone that knew me, right? Because I was out there and I didn't look good and I wasn't trying to look good and I wasn't trying to be good for those four months, right? And I, my hope was that I was gonna make it back here um, before things got really bad. Because I knew I had made a mistake the day I went out, I was like, this was dumb. This is exactly what they said was going to happen. Sanity returned real quick. But then my ego got involved and was like, go back tomorrow. <laughs> right? And so, and so um, you know, I'm lucky I, I made it back, guys. I just want to put that in there. Like, you know, another thing Chuck C, is that, Chuck C says is that you don't have to go out. Your friends are constantly doing it for you. You know, there's just no guarantee you make it back. There really isn't. And it, for me, it really wasn't about me. It's like the people, the scores of people that would be hurt. You know, that's who it, was, who it was about. Well, anyway, so I was back and forth trying to come back. Every time I got paid, I would pick up. And I remember I was at 14th Street, and I was headed uptown on a 6th train, and um, I'm standing on the subway platform. And who comes standing right next to me? Like, 
one of my little Peggy came and stood right next to me. She said, is it you, Kobe? And I was like, of all people. <laughs> right now. <laughs> and, um, and she got into the, I wonder if she remembers this, she got into the car with me and she told me how much I was missed and, and that they wanted me to come back. And, um, you know, she also tried to get me to go to church. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the angels have saved me in this life. In this life. And um, another quick story I'll share is, um, I, I was quickly, like, evicted from my apartment during this time. Like, you know, I was on my mom's couch. And uh, she gave me 30 days. She was like hip to it all. She didn't buy any of my stories. And she, I came home one day and there was a printout hanging out of the printer. I was like, when did you learn how to use the computer? And on the printout it said, at the top, the top heading was, what is enabling? <laughs> she found the Alicon website. The jig is really up. But um, I remember I was going to a meeting because I didn't have money, so um, I was going to a meeting that I could walk to. It turns out they were everywhere around me when I decided to look. You know? That's the way our spiritual program works. And I was in this meeting, and everybody, they were always asking me to speak because they all had like 50 years, and there were like eight of them, and they'd been talking to each other for 50 years. <laughs> and so every time I sat down, they asked me to speak, and they never remem remembered how many days I had, so I really liked that. And on one day a week, they had incoming speakers, right? Now, I'm in Midwood, Brooklyn, which is like the arm crack of it is in the middle of nowhere. And three people from the Atlantic are the incoming speakers. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So, um, um, and they said the same thing. We miss you, Cole. You know, don't worry about it. How much time you got again? <laughs> and uh, come back. You know? And a day at a time, I've been back, uh, coming up on 16 years this year. Um, you know, um, I am definitely an alcoholic knucklehead of the hopeless variety. Um, everything I have in my life that's good today is by grace. It is true that um, I believe we don't get what we deserve. Someone said that to me earlier. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. <laughs> we get what we get, you know. And, um, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a student here. You know, um, I can learn from somebody with, truly learn from somebody with one day, as well as someone, you know, with 50 years. You know, I believe that my higher power speaks to me through you. And, um, you know, how I grow, as much as I want to avoid you sometimes, you know, how I grow in my life, in myself, the measure of my growth is um, how I am with you. And, uh, you know, if you're new or you're coming back or, um, you know, as like my sponsor used to say, if you want to feel like you felt when you had two years, 
do what you were doing when you had two years, right? If you are new or you, or you are coming back, um, you know, I would just say, um, you know, action is the way. You know, action is the way. You know, my head can be in the clouds, but my feet need to be on the ground and my hands need to be busy. Thanks for letting me share. Matt and I'm an alcoholic and I'm chair of the Atlanta group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Zach and Kobe.